Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Before getting into Sunday's message, we have something big coming up that we would love for you to know about. On September 18th, Collective is celebrating its fifth birthday, and we'd love for you to join us. After second service, there'll be a food truck, inflatables, a dunk tank, and a ton more. So mark your calendars and make sure to follow us on social media at My Collective Church to stay in the loop. Now let's get into Sunday's message. So I know next week is our birthday, but today is a big day as well. Happy NFL kickoff Sunday. Um, I don't, I've never done this before, uh, probably because I know how this is going to turn out. But uh, by a round of applause, how many of you are Commanders fans? Okay, okay, okay. All right. First service, no one said anything. And I was like, well, this is, this is my life. Okay, um, what about Ravens fans? Yeah. Eh, I've heard better. Uh, Steelers fans? <laughs> all right, there were more first service. Sorry that you're all alone. Um, anyone else? Any other yeah. fans? We have a Jaguars fan here, a single Jaguars fan. <laughs> Packers? Anybody else? Bucks fan? Anybody else? I'm ignoring this one. Uh, someone said, we're hearing Cowboys a lot. There's a church down the road that loves Cowboys fans. Just kidding, just kidding. Endless second chances, right? Um, all right. So I, I know, especially you guys coming to second service, you have football on the brain, right? You're brave for coming to church at 11 o'clock. I promise you we'll be out today um, for you get home kickoff. Some of you are going to start getting alerts in the next 40 minutes about your fantasy players. Uh, your team's so bad, the Lord will not help you, okay? Um, so, but just focus on me. Let's do this and, and get through it. Hey, one more quick thing before I jump into the sermon today. A few months ago, Collective was actually nominated for Best of Best in Frederick in two categories. Um, so we were nominated for Best Community-Oriented Company and the Best Nonprofit. And I'm excited to let you know that we made it to the final round on both of those categories. How awesome is that? So starting today, actually, you can vote until September 17th for Collective in both of those categories. And we want to encourage you to vote every single day. Um, to make this easier, we're going to post it on social media a little bit later today, but it's also on the coming up tab on the app. So if you don't have the Church Center app, Church Center, search Collective Church, click coming up, and there's a link there. Uh, and you guys know me, uh, I am super competitive. So I want to win this thing so bad, but I don't want to win because I want to get dressed up and go to some banquet, get some like glass thing with our named etched in like pat a bunch of people in the back. That's not my vibe. Uh, if we do win and have to go to those things, I'm sending the staff. I'm not even going to be there unless I can wear t-shirts, I guess. Um, but I want to win because in the climate that we are in right now, when it comes to how people see the church, how huge would it be if a church won best community organization or best nonprofit or both? Right? Tell me that wouldn't restore some faith in the church in Frederick. And I know a lot of you are here in this church because you don't have a lot of hope for the church as a whole, but Collective is a place where it feels different. And so what I know and what many of you know is that there are churches that do make a true impact. We feel that and we see that. There are churches that care about their community and not just themselves. There are churches that are legitimately for Frederick. Right? They don't just say they are. They don't just steal our phrase and put it on a bumper sticker or on a t-shirt and magically think that makes it true. But there are churches like Collective 
that when they read Jeremiah 29, 7, that says, seek the welfare of the city, they take it to heart. And how cool would it be if this silly vote that doesn't really mean anything brought people to a place where they realize that that is true, that churches like that do exist. And then they came here and they bumped into Jesus and their lives were changed forever, right? In ways they never imagined. And so maybe I'm naive for thinking that's possible, but how cool would that be just because we click a few buttons on a website over the next week? So here's the last thing I'm gonna say about this. Even if we don't win, right? Even if we don't win, I know that God has been and will use this to bring people closer to him because they never even knew a church like this existed until they see it on the list this week. So thank you for those of you who voted us into the top five, but now let's see if we can win this thing. All right, are you guys ready to talk about video games? <laughs> Something I never thought I'd say in church. Uh, today is the last Sunday of our Level Up series where we've been using video games as metaphors to help us grow in our faith. And so if you are here for the first time and you're like, why was Sweet Child of Mine playing when I came in? Why are there arcades? That's why we went full 90s. Not gonna lie, I'm ready for the 90s music to be over. Four weeks of it in a row, and I'm like, I didn't like growing up in that era, and therefore it'll be gone forever. So next week we'll be back to normal good music in the lobby and auditorium. But I know some of you are like, this is my sweet spot. It's okay. I judged you hard first week. I'm sorry for that. Um, but I have one more video game for you and one more habit that can level up your faith. And really, it can actually level up your life. And it comes from the game Donkey Kong Country. Donkey Kong was a, originally an arcade game developed in the 80s. In fact, it was part of the Mario franchise. And the point of the original game was climb to the top of the map as Mario and rescue the princess. All the while, Donkey Kong is throwing barrels down to try and stop you. So for about 10 years, Donkey Kong was a villain. But in 1994, Nintendo put out the game that we're talking about today. Now, did any of you play this growing up? If you, play, if you had a Super Nintendo, you probably played this game, right? You can clap for that. It's good. So for those of you who didn't play the game somehow managed to miss it, here's the premise of this game. Donkey Kong Country is a platformer game or a jump and run game, which is a type of action game where the objective is to get from one part of a level to the next. Right? And it involves levels that are staggered and, and varying heights of, of obstacles. So you jump and run to get to the end. You know, think Super Mario Brothers. It's, it's the same type of game. And in this game, Donkey Kong is the grandson of the original, throw, the barrel, original barrel throwing Donkey Kong, which I know is confusing. I'm not sure why they didn't give him a new name, but remember, grandpa, grandson. And so Donkey Kong in this game is actually the hero. And he and his nephew, Diddy Kong, set out to save the original DK's horde of bananas that had been taken by King K. Rule and his Kremlin crew. I know. I explained this to my wife this week, and she's like, what is happening? I was like, it's the 90s. I don't know. So despite how lame the names of the characters are, Donkey Kong Country was huge. Uh, it, at the time, it set the record for fastest-selling video game ever, selling over 500,000 copies within a week. Within two weeks, one million copies of the game were sold in the U.S. alone, and in its second week, the game grossed $15 million, outpacing that week's highest-grossing movie, which was Tim Allen's The Santa Claus. Like, more video games than people went to go see that movie. Donkey Kong Country would go on to sell 6 million copies worldwide in its first holiday season, grossing over $400 million. And to date... Over 9.3 million copies have been sold, making it the third best-selling Super Nintendo game of all time, which is incredible. It has, it's had the staying power for 20 years. 
On top of that, it won Super Nintendo Game of the Year, Best Overall Game of the Year, Best Game Duo, Best Graphic Achievement, Best Action Game, and Best Gameplay. It was an incredible game. And one of the details that sets this game apart is that you can play as both Donkey and Diddy Kong. Right? This isn't like old video games where you pick one character and you're stuck with them the entire time. During the game on the remote, you could hit the select button and you would actually switch to the other character. And this was part of the strategy for winning the game. Donkey Kong is stronger and can defeat enemies more easily, but Diddy is faster and more agile and can jump further. And so there are parts of the game that Donkey Kong can't complete, so you have to tag in Diddy Kong and vice versa. And so here's the big thought for today. This is what we're gonna break down today. Just like in the game, there are times in our life and in our faith when we have to tag in someone else to get us to where we want to be. Right? We have to tag in someone else. We have to say, we need your help. And so that's what we're going to jump into. Now I'm going to read a story from the book of Exodus in the Old Testament that's about Moses. Moses was the leader of the Jewish people. And as they journeyed from Egypt to the land that God had promised them, one of Moses's responsibilities was as to be a judge. Right? And so he was a leader of these people, but he served as a judge over them as well. And this was a very hard job. Check this out. Exodus 18, verse 13 says this. The next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. Now imagine having to solve people's problems from morning until evening. Now that's not very hard to imagine, right? It's called being a parent. That's, that is your life, right? It's called being a teacher. It's called being a boss or being the only responsible person in your family full of dysfunctional people. Like we know how hard this job is. But this is what Moses did every single day for thousands of people. The story continues. When Moses' father-in-law saw, uh, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Right, so it's take your father-in-law to work day. That's not actually, I don't know why he's there. He's just there, <laughs> typical father-in-law. But while he's doing his job, his father-in-law is getting this behind-the-scenes look at what being a judge is all about. And Moses' father-in-law calls him out. Right? He says, what are you doing? Like, what are you accomplishing here? And Moses actually answers him literally. He says this, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God, when a dispute arises, they come to me, and I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. And so ultimately he says, I help the people settle their disputes, and I give them instructions from God. But what Moses didn't realize is that his father-in-law doesn't actually care about the details of the job. He's asking Moses, what are you doing? because he sees that Moses is rapidly heading toward burnout. The story continues. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Right? This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. You can't keep carrying this weight all the time. Right? He's telling him, you're going to burn out. You're going to crash. You're going to start struggling to do this job well, and that is going to wear you and your people out, and eventually everything will fall apart. What he's saying is, Moses, you need help. 
And then what he does is he gives Moses some advice. He encourages him to find a group of capable men who can serve as judges over smaller groups of people. And he tells Moses that, hey, if they get stuck on the harder things, they can reach out to you and then you can step in. But you don't need to be handling all this stuff by yourself. And then Moses' father-in-law says this in Exodus 18, verse 22. He says, they will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. The story goes on. Moses does what his father-in-law suggests, and it works. He gets the help he needs. It gives him the space that he needs to lead and serve from a healthier and better place. And looking at this story, there are three different types of people in it. There's the father-in-law, whose name was Jethro, by the way, in case you're wondering. Now, some of you older than the 90s when you grew up, you're thinking Jethro Tall. There's no connection there, okay? There's nothing, they have nothing in common. But when I say Jethro, you're going to go that way. Don't go that way. So his father-in-law, whose name is Jethro, he plays the role of this wise sage who sees Moses running toward danger and gives him the advice so he doesn't crash and burn. Then in the story, there are the judges. These are the people who step in and they support and help Moses carry the weight of leading and serving their community. And then there's Moses, the person trying to do it all, trying to carry the weight of leading, leading a family, leading a marriage, leading people, leading a whole community, leading an organization, but struggling to do it all well because it's just too much for one person. And typically in sermons like this, I'll talk about how it's our responsibility to carry each other's burdens, right? I'll talk about how it's our job to be Jethro or the judges and how as Christians, we are called to encourage one another and support one another and pick each other up when we fall down. And all of that is true. We should be those types of people. But something I realized this week when working on this sermon was that I almost always write these messages from the perspective of the person that's still standing, from the perspective of the person who can offer help, but rarely do we talk about them from the perspective of the person who needs it. Right? In this story, this is Moses' perspective. And in full transparency, this comes from a part of me that doesn't like to ask for help. I do not like needing help. So instead of focusing on Jethro and the judges, we're going to focus on Moses, the person in this story that is overwhelmed, stressed out, struggling to keep his head above water and trying to carry the weight of the world on his own shoulders. And there are going to be two main takeaways that I point out from this story that I want you to write down. Here's the first one. Surround yourself with the right people. Surround yourself with the right people. In the game, Donkey Kong has Diddy Kong, right? In this story, Moses has Jethro, his father-in-law who sees him struggling and reaches out a hand to help. Moses also has people like the men who become the judges. He's surrounded by wise and godly people who help him when he needs it the most. Right? So we need to surround ourselves with the right type of people. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise, associate with fools and get in trouble. And there are many different ways to say this. Pastor Andy Stanley says it like this, your friends will always determine the direction and quality of your life. There's a Spanish proverb that says, tell me your friends and I will tell you who you are. Motivational speaker Jim Rohn once said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Right? These are the people who shape who you are. They determine what conversations dominate your attention and they affect the attitudes and behaviors that you keep. 
And I wanna make sure that we don't miss this. This doesn't say you are the average of the five people you want to spend the most time with. It's who you actually spend your time with. Darren Hardy writes in The Compound Effect that according to research, Dr. David McClellan of Harvard found that the people you habitually associate with determine as much as 95% of your success or failure in life. So let me ask you, are you surrounding yourself with the right people? Students, this is why your parents care so much about who you hang out with. They know that if you're hanging out with the wrong crowd, you will get in trouble. And so teenagers, I'm gonna give you a little secret. If your parents are really paranoid about who you spend your time with, it's because they hung out with some really stupid people when they were your age. <laughs> and they did some really stupid stuff. And they're trying to make sure that you don't make the same mistakes that they did. And if you don't believe me on the car ride home today, ask your parents. Sorry, parents, I'm putting you on the hook for that one. But ask them, right? Ask them, why don't you want me spending time with those people? And hopefully they'll be honest. And teenagers, let me add this. This is why your parents check and monitor what you do online, how you use your phone, what, what you do on social media, because they know whether you want it to be true or not, it will influence you. And they check all that stuff because they love you, and they know that if you associate with fools, you will get in trouble. And, I, and I'm not just talking about having the right type of friends. I'm talking about being in the right type of communities as well. Think about it. Do you want to surround yourself with people who believe in fighting for your marriage when things get hard or people who think it's just easier to give up and walk away? Do you want to surround yourself with people who value serving others and caring for others the way that you do? Or do you want to surround yourself with people who are obsessed with this me-first culture that we're currently living in? Do you want to surround yourself with people who value honesty and vulnerability and transparency in relationships or people who think relationships are for just what they can get out of them? Right? This stuff matters because the people we spend our time with, actively or passively, determine so much of who we are. Surround yourself with the right people. And for the most part, this is easy. Some of us need to do some editing. We need to remove some people from our life, or maybe we need to put up some good boundaries because they're family and you can't really remove them from your life. Some of us simply need to be here more often, make this a priority, because these are the type of people you really should want to be around more often. Some of us need to spend less time around that one person at work or that one person in our neighborhood who would rather gossip and tear people down than be real. Right? These are minor changes that have a huge impact, but these are all pretty easy. Well, here's the second takeaway for today, and this one's the doozy. We need to be humble enough to ask for help. And we hate this one, don't we? Right? In fact, some of you are currently throwing up in your mouth a little bit because you hate the idea of asking for help. We would rather run through the game as Donkey Kong, even though we know that certain things are much easier for Diddy. We would rather struggle and be seen as strong and capable and resilient. But what we're really saying is that we'd rather be Moses sprinting toward burnout and pain than acknowledge the fact that we are carrying too much. We need to be humble enough to ask for help. And this isn't easy. Right? We know this is a difficult thing to do. Psychologists have been studying this topic for years, and they have found that there are three primary reasons we don't like asking for help. The first is fear. We are afraid that we'll be turned down, laughed at, or revealed to be a fraud. We are reluctant to ask for help because this seemingly simple act carries a number of high social risks, including rejection, diminished status, the inherent relinquishing of control, and overall failure. 
And when we think about these threats, fear overrides reason. And as studies in neuroscience show, the risk of emotional pain activates the same regions of the brain as physical pain. And we don't want that. Right? We don't like that feeling, so we don't ask for help. The second reason we don't like asking for help is that we don't want to be a burden. There tends to be a lot of awkwardness associated with asking people for help. The person asking often feels like they're inconveniencing others and making their lives harder than they need to be. This is despite the fact that we know, like psychologically, that we get pleasure, we enjoy serving others, right? It releases dopamine. We are happier when we serve others, and yet we still think we're a burden. The third reason we don't like asking for help is that it makes us feel vulnerable. Perceived vulnerability is one of the biggest roadblocks in seeking support because people see vulnerability as weakness, and we don't want to be seen as weak. Is that hitting anybody right here today? I know it does for me. I don't like asking for help because I have convinced myself that needing help means that I'm not capable of doing something on my own. And if I'm not capable of doing something on my own, it means that I am weak. And if I am weak, it means that people in my life won't love me. Anybody else think that way? Men, talking to you, right? This is the biggest thing that gets in the way of us asking for help. We'd rather hold on to control and really just destroy everything in our lives because we're afraid, because we don't want to be vulnerable. Now, putting ourselves into Moses' shoes, imagine what it was like for him to have to ask for help. Not only was it not his idea, like he got it from his father-in-law, which just has to be embarrassing. Like there's always a tension there, but also because he's the leader of all these people. He was the one that God spoke to through a burning bush. He was the one that God used to free the Israelites out of slavery. He was the one who stood before the Red Sea and commanded it to split. And he's the one that needed to be humble enough to ask for help. That had to have been hard. And we feel that. It is so hard to ask for help, especially when we need it. Do you know what breaks my heart? And this happens all the time. It happened a lot during COVID. There are marriages that have fallen apart or are currently falling apart. And I know that if those couples were just reached out to someone and asked for help, they wouldn't be in that place right now. Right? I know this. I'm not saying the marriages would be perfect. I'm not even saying they would be completely healed. But what I'm saying is they'd have a fighting chance. They would have a light at the end of the tunnel and people to walk with them as they work toward healing and restoration if they just would have asked for help. But they didn't. Right? And maybe it's because they were embarrassed. They didn't want other people to know that they were struggling. Right? They didn't want to be a burden. Or maybe they just thought they could do it all on their own. I've seen people held captive by addiction who refused to get help Refuse to ask for accountability and support. Refuse to find a sponsor who's been there before. And I've watched as the end result is broken families, broken homes, overdoses, and deaths. One of the reasons we pushed so hard to open this church back up during COVID wasn't because people were dying because of COVID. It's because five people overdosed and died that went to this church during that season because they didn't ask for help. And we weren't able to be there in those moments. I've seen people who are struggling with mental health be too afraid to tell anyone that something feels off, that they find themselves in these places where they don't know if they want to keep living. Instead of asking for help and allowing people to remind them 
that they are valuable and they matter or to support them as they go to counseling for the first time or walk with them as they get the medicine they need dialed in. They try to do it all alone and ultimately it always gets worse and worse and worse. Moms, there are so many new moms here. Postpartum is very real. And every mom here would love to support you as you navigate those hard months. But you need to step out of your comfort zone and ask for help. Right? They don't know how hard this is. They know it's hard, but they don't know how you feel and how much you are hurting. You have to ask for help. Parents, I'm not sure why this is the norm, but we suck at asking for help from other parents. And parenting is really hard. I think I've said that every week in this series. We're in a tough season, people. Right? There are times when Ray and I, we don't know what we're doing, and we're very aware that we don't know what we're doing. There's times when we know we are not doing a good job. Here's the deal. We aren't Bluey's parents. Anybody feel that pressure all the time? Like, I'm not bandit healer who's constantly patient and fun and kind and understanding and available at every moment of the day, because apparently he doesn't have a job, to use my imagination to make up games that are so amazing that nobody fights and everybody gets along. Right? Anybody else feel that tension with me? I love that show, but man, do I feel shamed by that show all the time. Right? And I imagine as a parent, you feel the same way. But instead of asking other parents for help, we struggle through this alone. We're surrounded by parents, but we struggle to do this alone because we are afraid that if we ask for help, people will think we're bad parents. Truth is, we're not bad parents. This is just hard. If you are a middle schooler or high schooler, I want you to lean in right now. You are going through or are going to go through some of the, the hardest years of your life as you grow into an adult. I'm very sorry about that, but it's inevitable. And you're going to be pulled in a million different directions. Culture is going to pull you one way. Um, your friends are going to pull you another. And then on top of that, you have these things called hormones, which are just going to make everything 100 times more complicated. It's going to be a lot. And one of the best things that you can hear right now is that you are not alone. And asking for help is not a burden. There are adults sitting all around you right now that have brokenness and baggage and pain that they are still working through because when they were your age, they thought it was best to be seen and not heard. Maybe they were told that. So they tried to figure out how to navigate this whole world alone and it wasn't smooth. And I'll just talk about myself for a second. My parents had a rough marriage while I was growing up. There was a lot of fighting and a lot of yelling and a lot of things that I saw and overheard that I should not have seen or overheard. When I was in high school, my dad left. And most of my teenage years, the most formative years of a student to have a father, especially, my dad wasn't really a positive presence in my life. And it messed me up. But I didn't talk to anyone about it, right? I just didn't. And so I got angry, I got mean, I got defensive, I got closed off. But the thing is, I was going to church. I loved Jesus. I had great people around me, but I chose, I chose, this is my choice, I chose to keep it all in. And I carried this pain for years, and it negatively impacted my friendships when I became an adult. It impacted my marriage. It currently impacts my parenting. I felt like I was drowning in pain, and I refused to ask for help. Please do not do that. There are other students and other adults here that are here for you, but you have to take that first step and say help. We need to be humble enough to ask for help, to understand that there are times when we need to tag someone in because we can't keep going, because we're stuck, because we're sprinting toward burnout or we're lost and we just don't know what to do. So what I wanna do is I wanna try something together right now. I want you to repeat this after me. Ready? 
Repeat after me. Help. Help. That's pretty good. First service wasn't very good. I was going to keep until kickoff. <laughs> but I know that some of you didn't do it, so we're going to do this one more time. Ready? Repeat after me. Help. Help. Okay, now try this one. Will you help me, please? See, that, that wasn't so bad, was it? Some of you are like dying right now. <laughs> like, but, but here's the thing, here's the thing. In front of a group of people, some you know, some you don't know, you just took a huge step forward by saying, I need help. Right? I, I, I need help. Will you help me, please? And so now, now that we've gotten out of the way and you're a pro at that, uh, you need to ask yourself, what are the weights that you are carrying that are too heavy that you need help with? And who are you going to text or call this week to ask? Because the thing is, help is always available. We just have to be humble enough to ask. Now, here's the thing. You can completely take to heart what I talked about today, and your life will get better, right? That that is what Scripture does. If we take it to heart, even if we don't follow Jesus, and we follow what Scripture teaches, what Jesus teaches us, our life will get better, our relationships will get better, we'll heal in a lot of ways, and that's good. But remember, this series is also about leveling up our faith. It's not just about ourselves, but our faith. And so I want you to repeat one more thing after me. Are you ready? Jesus, help. We're going to do that again. That one's harder, isn't it? Right? Let's do that again. Jesus, help. Jesus, help. A friend of mine calls this the most powerful prayer that we can pray. Jesus, help. You see, because this isn't about asking our friends when you need it. We need to do that. that. That has to be a part of our life. We need to surround ourselves with the right people, the right people that we can reach out to say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm drowning. I need help. Will you carry this with me? Or will you just carry this for me? Because I don't have the strength to do it right now. And that's really important. But what it's really about is understanding the one person that will never let us down is Jesus. And when we need help, we go to him first. Because it's all about asking him to help heal our brokenness, to give us strength, to give us wisdom, to help us when we need the most, to show us grace, Jesus, help. And that is what he came to do, right? And he won't let us down the way people will. Because the truth is you could follow all this stuff and someone could still say no, and it will hurt. It won't feel good. But that's why we need Jesus. Because he never turns us down. He never turns us away. He never chooses not to help us. Jesus says this in Matthew 11, It says this, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus came to help us live a life that feels free and light. He cares about your burdens. He cares about your heartache. He cares about your fears and your insecurities because he cares about you. And when you are struggling, what he wants you to know is that he's there for you. He's, he's with you. Like we sang earlier, he's pursuing you because he wants us to share those burdens with him. He wants us to call to him for help. So above everything else we learned today, this is it. Are we humble enough to look at God and say, hey, I I need help. Jesus, help. Let's pray. God, I know that um, this is a really hard topic. God, we we just struggle so much uh, 
with letting people know that we're, we're not doing well um, or God, that we, t- we took on too much or, um, or ultimately even something out of our control is hurting us and we don't know what to do with it. And God, we really struggle to just ask for help. So God, I, I pray as, as we, we leave today, as we wrestle with this, God, I pray that we as individuals can understand that one of the strongest things we can do is say, I need help. One of the strongest things we can do is acknowledge that we can't do this alone. One of the strongest things that we can do is understand that more than anything else, we need a savior. We need someone to rescue us from our sin, rescue us from our mistakes, rescue us from our failures. God, that we need help. So God, this week, as we go back out and things are hard, like every every day is going to be hard. This isn't going to be an easy week. No week is that easy. There are going to be times when we come face to face with this reality that we need help. So God, I pray that we are surrounded by the right people where we can reach out and say, hey, I I need you. But God, more than anything else, I pray that we are humble enough to turn toward you in all of those moments and say, Jesus, help. God, I need you. I need your strength. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need your life. God, thank you for this lesson. Thank you for putting it on our hearts. God, we love you and pray this in your name. Amen.